0: Have you ever wondered what it's like to sit in on a magazine editorial meeting? Well, this is your chance. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, a monthly podcast where our editors, writers, and staff dig deeper into stories, chat with newsmakers, and talk amongst ourselves about arts, culture, food, music, politics, or whatever else might strike our fancy. After all, we are Utah's biggest fans. Hi, this is Mary Brown Malouf, executive editor of Salt Lake Magazine, and you're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, Salt Lake Magazine's own podcast. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects in the world—sparkling wine—with uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Francis Fecteau, owner of Libation, a wine and spirits broker here in Salt Lake City, and a. Uh, a wine guru. I think most people that I know would would as- ascribe that title to Francis. So thanks for being here, Francis. And thanks for all these bottles you brought with you.
1: Well, you know, I'm a prop comic, so I always need some added details <laughs> uh, to prompt and poke at discussion. But thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, be here and talk about one of my favorite subjects as well.
0: Right. So first of all, and I can only see the tops of the bottles here, so I feel like we're kind of on a on a blind sort t- of a
1: Christmas light quality, to exactly, exactly, those ding, 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 yeah.
0: sparkling wine. This is the season for it, in my opinion. Of course, as you know, every day is the season for it. But uh, traditionally, it's always been a celebratory wine, so you it used to sell a lot more between uh, uh, Thanksgiving and around Christmas and New Year's than at other occasions. But um, it's been on a huge upswing in the United States over the last five, seven years.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it goes through its seasonal spikes, and you know, as the population grows, these things grow organically. I'm usually hesitant to ascribe trends and whatnot to to things like that, just because we might see an occasional spike in bubbly wine. I think part of it's you know, millennials deciding they like to drink wine. Right. So there could be a whole bunch of factors behind it, but. Um, You know, yeah, it is traditionally a celebratory beverage, but I try and try and try every year to beat that sensibility out of people with uh, regular presentations and regular dosings of bubbly wine. I mean, Mm -hmm. me, for instance, I actually, every time I drink it, I always think to myself, why don't I drink this more? Right. You know, I just, it's such a phenomenal beverage. It's never that high alcohol. It never kicks you in the head like a lot of other stuff unless you drink, you know, eight gallons of it. But, you know, it's great stuff.
0: Yeah, it is great stuff. It goes with almost everything that you can, that you can eat. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one reason that people didn't used to think of champagne right away is they perceived it as expensive. They only thought of the big champagne houses, the big French actual champagne houses, uh, as sources of champagne. And those can be pricey. And, um, and then if they weren't uh, going to spring for that, they drank something awful like Cook's.
1: Well that's just a damn shame is what that is. That just tells me you're lazy and cheat. <laughs> um, champagne, you know, as an appellation is a tremendous marketing scam. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's an extraordinary uh, appellation. It's the northernmost in France, so it tends to be very cold there, so things don't get very ripe. It's literally the birthplace of Champagne. You know, it was there at King uh, when Clovis was made king of France in the fifth century. You know, and it's also home to some of the most extraordinary innovations in winemaking I know of. And very few of those I would ascribe to the big houses. Uh, the big houses essentially rule the roost in Champagne. They you know, create the Appalachian rules, they naturally tailor them to meet their needs. But it's possible to find tremendous value in Champagne, believe it or not. And then if you're not particularly married to having the word Champagne on the label, you can find value all over the world in sparkling wines that are made in identical fashion, from identical families of grapes. And, you know, that, that Spanish cava that I brought, the Marques de Galida, it's made exactly the same way. It's aged on the Lees for exactly the same amount of time as a certain, you know, brand with a yellow label. Uh, it spends that much time on the Lees in bottle. Uh, it's conditioned in bottle. It's made in Champenois method, which is bottle conditioning with wine. And it's grown from an almost identical array of grapes, except it has a uniquely Spanish tweak to it. And I've put that in blind lineups and people can't tell the damn difference.
0: Wow! Yeah, it's pretty, pretty insane. What do you mean, uniquely Spanish tweak?
1: Well, they're using native var- varieties native to Montsant and Priorat, uh, Parellada, Chardonnay, right? uh, Macabeo. I mean, Macabeo is actually in France too, but it's mostly Chardonnay. But it's got those, you know, little Spanish. Native oh, the varieties little I, like, see. Yeah, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. like a yeah. little icing in there.
0: Yeah.
1: Brilliant, brilliant wine.
0: Brilliant wine. Let me see it. Uh,
1: it's the orange capsule.
0: Here it comes. I know that bottle, Galita, Brut Grand Reserva. This is a Cava. So Cava, this is the sparkling wine of Spain, and it tends to run. I don't even know what the percentage would be. How inexpensive this would cava be compared to the Clicquot.
1: Ca, cava gets a bad rap, and it shouldn't. Well, it gets a bad rap, deservedly so, because there's millions and millions of cheaply made, you know, Charmat process wines that right. you know flood the market that have a little bit of extra sugar in them. And, you know, they are what they are and they're good for mimosas and what have you, but this is actually a fairly unique one because it has a vintage date on it and so you, it's usually tremendously hard to find vintage dated cabas, but it's a sign that, you know, the, the, that particular segment of the Spanish wine industry, particularly the sparkling wine makers, like any, you know, segment of the wine industry, there's always people who innovate and want to do something special and want to do something elevated and that's a perfect example and it's still under $20.
0: That's amazing, isn't
1: yeah, it? It's got it's got the, you know, when you think about how some of these wines get made, you know, there's certain things that after the number of years I've been in the wine business that, you know, make your mental ticker, you know, go. So, for instance, when I hear things like low yields, that's expensive. When I hear things like, you know, three years on the lease, that's expensive. And there are certain things that add to the cost and add to the cost and add to the cost. And so when I see stuff like this at under 20 bucks, I'm like, Sign me up.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, th- so those are some of the things you can look for. By the way, uh, we'll have photos of all these wines on the website. So go to saltlakemagazine.com and, and check them out so you recognize the label and, uh, and know what Francis is talking about to look at. So this is 2013.
1: It's pretty fresh. But yeah. it's still got some of those toasty, leasy notes you associate with extended bottle aging. You know, and as, I, as far as shopping for wine goes, you know, I've got two favorite rules that I usually tell consumers and are actually pretty simple. Um, wine's an agricultural product. And so, like any agricultural product, the more they tell you about its region of origin, the more information they give you about where it's from, the more specific and interesting a drink it's going to be. It's going to be a drink that's unique to its place. Right. You know, I mean, as I'm fond of saying, they don't call it prosciutto di tuilo. They call it prosciutto (laughs) di Parma. There's something (laughs) unique about Parma that makes that ham worthwhile. So the same thing with wine labels. So rule number one is read the damn label. There's a lot of valuable information there. The more information they give you about location, uh, the better off you're going to be. And look for qualitative language. Words like Grand or premier or things like that or reserva in the case of Spanish wines. You know, they don't toss those around lightly. And the more information you get, the better off you're going to be. And you know the second one applies in a more broad spectrum, uh, and that is pay attention to the alcohol. High alcohol means deal closer on date night. Low alcohol means something nice and refreshing. Make sense?
0: Right, yeah. right, so what do you want? So always check that percentage. Uh, uh,
1: with sparkling wines, however, because you can't make sparkling wine with excessively sweet fruit because it's gonna create too much pressure and blow up the bottle, sparkling wines are always gonna be pretty refreshing by their nature because they're always gonna be on that low alcohol spectrum.
0: Right, or else they blow up the bottle. That's a, that's a good, easy, easy sign. No. Nope, too much. No. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of blowing up the bottle, let's talk about what uh, the champagne, you, you always still still see uh, people, you know, shaking the bottle and spewing champagne everywhere and the cork flying out and stuff like that, but um, uh, maybe we should hear the sound of a champagne bottle being opened properly.
1: Well, how about we hold off a second until they actually chill it down be because if they, you open them up and they're too warm, they will spray everywhere.
0: Alright, well then that's rule number one, make sure they're good and cold.
1: Yeah, make sure they're good and cold.
0: Right, right. So that's Spain and Cava and that's a um, it's high quality alternative. It's a
1: very high quality alternative and it's proof you can get really high quality sparkling wine anywhere around the world because right. it's being made incredibly well. You know, the home of the most innovations I've seen so far is probably Champagne with some of the smaller producers, but even in California, they're making some really innovative sparkling wines. You and know, what's they're,
0: innovative about them?
1: You know, old, finding old vine field blends of things that are centered around things like Chenin Blanc and Albarino and making a sparkling wine out of that.
0: Wow.
1: You know, there's Tony Soder who makes Brut Rose in the most classical method possible, and it's probably, the fine, in my humble opinion, the finest sparkling wine made in the U.S. today, is uh, Soder's Brut Rose. And it's Classic French style, low dosage, you know, low sugar, and then there 's you know white field blends like uh, the conundrum 25th anniversary sparkling wine that right. uses you know aromatic Alsatian grapes and a Chardonnay backbone and makes a really brilliant wine for about twenty five bucks so great value can be had wherever you see it, or Jesus, Prosecco you know Adami in particular are probably the most I- they 're the most advanced of the Prosecco producers, and they probably have the largest aggregation of high quality real estate in the Appalachian. And so, you know, when you're searching out Prosecco, there's certain things you need to be aware of. It's only recently an Appalachian and it's divided into three parts. It's um, DOC, mm-hmm. and then you go. It's like a circle. You go inside, and there's a smaller concentric area called DOC Treviso, which indicates higher quality real estate, and then DOCG, which is the best of the best of the best. And you know, 95% of their fruit is DOCG, and they only go outside of that particular donut to DOC Treviso. So even their you know, entry-level stuff is super high quality. These guys do a hundred fermentations a year, so their stuff is always crazy fresh. And that's something that no that's other- pro- No other Prosecco producer does.
0: I had no idea. And
1: they've got five presses running continuously and they keep the juice in uh, in, in autoclaves, you know, under pressure, you know, oxygen-free environments. And so whenever they, they ferment it on demand and what makes Prosecco really fun is because it deviates from Champagne because, you know, when Champagne goes through that second fermentation, they leave it on the leaves, and those right. leaves break down and they release proteins into the wine and they create all those beautiful secondary and tertiary flavors of biscuits and ginger and honey right, and things right, like right. that. The minute that second fermentation is done in Prosecco, they sterile filter the wine. And so that's why Prosecco is always all about you know, that, that bouillant fruity quality that that's they right. have without being necessarily sweet or gooey. Prosecco, actually those ones in particular, are made with less, shan- less sugar in them than actual brute champagne level stuff.
0: I did not know that, that's so interesting, you but know. is it still, you're still saying it's made méthode champenoise? All no, of, no? Uh, no. It's m- not? Most, most there, are are s-
1: there are some high-end Prosecchi that are made that way, but you know nine out of ten of them are you know Charmat, and you know it's okay. a, it's a it's Why Italian don't you explain
0: method. that in case somebody doesn't know what that well, means?
1: Well, there are two There are a variety of ways to make sparkling wine, but the two most common are Charmette Bulk Process, where it's basically fermented by the tank, and there's bottle conditioning where it's fermented by the bottle. You can make high quality wines both ways, but one obviously lends itself to a more industrial scale of production, but that doesn't mean you can't have high quality. The Methode Champenois, is a much different character. It's got that bottle-conditioned quality to it. The bubbles are usually finer, and usually has that sort of trademark ginger and biscuit smell that you get from the yeast autolysis in the bottle.
0: Autolysis. Are we all learning big words now? Bam. Bam. Yeah. Two points for Francis. <laughs> um, so that's that's why Prosecco is almost. I mean, I think of drinking Prosecco as as almost a. A soft. I mean, you could wake up in the morning and drink prosecco, right? I call
1: it the breakfast of champions for a reason.
0: <laughs> and champagne is more complex; tends to be more. Com-
1: I think that's an oversimplification. You know, because I've had prosecco that are just spectacular, and they're as complex as any champagne I've ever had. Good winemaking is good winemaking. Period. You know, and to generalize prosecco as being less complex is it's a it's an oversimplification in my mind.
0: Huh. Well, you're the palate talking, so. <laughs> I'm just the interviewer. So, Prosecco, Cava, Champagne, uh, California Sparkling Wine, Mm -hmm. Are all wine regions of the world? Is everybody making a sparkling wine? We got South Africa. Oh yeah, got there's so sparklers. Ewers. Yeah, there's
1: sparklers coming out from every 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 corner of the globe. You know, it's uh, it's if you go back into wine history, I mean, wine was sparkling by its nature, just because they didn't figure out how to not make it ferment again. <laughs> you know, I mean, from you know, wa- early wines were generally carbonated because they would sit there and. You know, they wouldn't want to stop fermentation and, you know, it's a trial and error over the course of 6,000 years until they got really refined.
0: Right. And
1: figured out how to do it, and, you know, get that off the gross leaves and things like that. I mean, you know, the current trend now is for Pet Nat, Petit Naturel, where basically it's, you know, one-stop sparkling wine that's basically still got the sludge in it. These things are off dry. Oh, is that They're like a natural yeah, version? one of the hipster One of those Hipster things? nonsense. Yeah. I mean're they're, f- they're fun to drink they're a little bit sweet but it's you know it's there's kind of a gra- there's kind of a grapey soda quality to them right and if you you know you can't really leave them laying around because they get a little funky uh, so I tend to I mean there are a few that are fun to drink here and there but you know it's not something I'd hang my hat on
0: right it's funny I saw uh, an advertisement this week for hard grape soda you know and I thought wait isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that somewhere. I've heard that mm. somewhere. Mm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, I thought it was so funny. What are some other great regions for Champagne? And I also want to hear about uh, the, I know there are a lot, Champagne's just a region, region of uh, Burgundy.
1: No. No. Nope. Uh, Champagne is an appellation unto Appalachian itself. Appellation yeah. unto itself. Okay. Yeah. But. But there are sparkling lines made in Burgundy that are pretty, trama- right, pretty that tremendous. Right. That are right. Yeah.
0: Next day, I knew that they're made.
1: Generally speaking, around the Chablis area, and they use native Burgundian grapes like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and sometimes they'll use a little Pinot Meunier or maybe a little Aligote.
0: But because they don't get to use the big C word,
1: they don't get to use the big C word. Uh, That's kind of a loaded phrase. Uh, (laughs) But you know, it's a it's a paltry few hundred miles south of Champagne, and they grow the exact same grapes. Soil types are identical. Farming techniques are identical. Manufacturing technique is identical, and you can go get Cremant de Bourgogne for you know twenty dollars, and yeah, it's really insanely it's high quality. It's insanely high quality fruit, and you know it's identical winemaking. Uh, champagne to, to its credit, though, have some really extraordinary uh, innovators on the on the on the farmer side, which is really really compelling. Grower you know. this
0: grower Champagne. The little guys one that we've of the been talking things about that, drives or is that me okay. Insane? I just said something else that drives you know, Francis one crazy. One of the things that it's so me easy, hey, one of the things
1: that drives me insane about
0: the wine business
1: I have people having me chase my tail for the most exotic, little teeny tiny production stuff you know, this exotic Cabernet, this exotic thing from here, there, or everywhere the latest boutique, this, that, or the other. But they get into the champagne aisle and they go into Vapor Lock. It's insane to watch all of a sudden that desire to find that exotic thing has gone out the window they stop and start you know drooling over the first luxury brand they see right which usually means the biggest marketing budget I used to sell a lot of those big you know negociant house wines they would send me Hermes scarves golf balls crystal platinum champagne buckets and you know mediocre wine uh, that sells for like fifty five dollars and then I started working you know and for the life of me I couldn't smack I just could not get people to Jump ship because they had to have that label. They had to have that label. They had to have that, to have that glossy magazine label, regardless of the quality of the wine in there. I'm not saying negociants don't make great wine. They certainly can.
0: No, but there's a point where you're buying the brand and not not, brand the, and not, not the, the quality, quality wine of making. Wine, and that's right. why
1: when I when I when I was introduced to the category of farmer fizz or grower champagne, it blew my mind. It expanded my universe. It was keep in mind there's four thousand different growers in what is a very tiny, very cold Appalachian in, in northern France. And so, when you're making a million cases of wine a year, you've got to be nice to a lot of people and buy a lot of wine to make the same wine every year, over and over again. The whole idea of a large producer like Clyto, I you know, I probably shouldn't do say that, but Whatever. you get the idea. The, the big, well, market- each house
0: has its own distinctive style yeah. that they have to reproduce yeah. consistently. Yeah. They're known for being this. Kind of a champagne, and and if you whether you get Veuve or you Moet or whatever, you you know what you're getting every time. There's a consistency issue. Yeah,
1: if you look at the size of the production of um, Dom Perignon and you examine the amount of fruit the Appalachian produces, you'll find some interesting disparities, let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, and that's why the big houses are trying to expand the boundaries of the Appalachian currently, and that's a big, big scandal. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they're actually trying to they like want, they want buy more. more they f- want more real estate. Incorporate so, Yeah, more. I mean, it's like, you know, there's a similar thing happening in northeastern Italy because people are sneaking Pinot Grigio over the border because they can't keep up with demand. And so there's right. this bastardization of a brand going on. There's and
0: always Algeria. the, the,
1: the larger. <laughs> the, lo- the, the larger brand houses are the ones driving that sort of thing you know and so they have to maintain relationships with a lot of people that don't work for them so it's a contract with a farmer where you agree to buy a certain amount of fruit every year and some of the and champagne is structured a lot like burgundy there's Grand Cru which is the best real estate there's Premier Cru which is the second best real estate which is still pretty awesome and then there's village level stuff which can be pretty good you know when it comes to shopping for champagne you know there the little details around the label uh, you'll never see a bottle of Veuve clico that says Grand Cru on it because they can't guarantee that there is a percentage enough of Grand Cru fruit in there. You might get a little bit, right. but not very much. And so these guys are going and buying from the farmers who actually own the Grand Cru property, own the Premier Cru property. And so when I discovered that you could actually go support the farmer that lives there that gets up in the morning, has his coffee and croissant, looks out on the vineyard, and decides when to pick and makes a little bit of his own wine. It was like you know understanding that all of a sudden this venerable you know appellation had single vineyard wines that were specific to a place and a site, and that they didn't right. use cane sugar or beet sugar when they were you know creating the second fermentation of the wine. They were using grape must because they were working on these very tiny scales, and the wines were fascinating. And even more so when you put them in a, wa- a proper wine glass. You know part of what current sparkling tradition drives me nuts is. The notion of it, you need to put it in a flute and you need to keep it extra cold. Well, all of a sudden, here I am presented with Grand Cru burgundy that just happens to have bubbles in it, and you want me to put it in this little tiny narrow glass and chill the F out of it and not smell smell anything. Yeah, so you can't smell anything or taste anything.
0: Right, no, you can't. And so,
1: by you know, when I discovered that, I mean, I had several months worth of commission checks that did nothing but keep my refrigerator full of grower (laughs) shampoo. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, let's hear that bottle sound now. I think it might be cold enough. I think so. Pick one let's and let's one hear it. grab one of my it. favorites. These grower
1: champagnes are kind of cool, and they're, they're probably the best deal you've never heard of in the wine store. Because Jean Lallement here, for instance, owns the oldest vines in two villages called Verzenay and Verzy. He grows Chardonnay, Pinot, Pinot Meunier, and Pinot Noir. and he sells most of his fruit to the marquee houses, so Krug buys his fruit. So Krug has Jean Lalemant L- L- fruit in it, but Krug charges two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars a bottle, depending on what cuvee you get. Right. This is sixty bucks. Wow. And it's all hundred percent Grand Cru fruit. Period. Right. Period. So which
0: the other can't Krug, guarantee you as Krug, Krug said. can't
1: guarantee you that this guy can.
0: That's amazing. Take note.
1: <laughs> there. Isn't that the best sound in the world?
0: It is. It is. It is.
1: Good uh, things always happen when you hear that sound.
0: Always do. It makes me smile just to hear it. <laughs> I should probably just get a recording of it, right? Maybe that would make a good sound for an alarm clock to make.
1: Anybody got a crazy straw? I can just go right in.
0: Let's get some glasses. It's what Don Ho was talking about, right? Yeah, right. Tiny bubbles.
1: Oh, and the other thing I love about these things, they tell you exactly when it came off the gross leaves.
0: That's amazing.
1: Disgorgement date. It's like a freshness date on a Budweiser can.
0: Yep. <laughs> Which is kind of meaningless. Uh,
1: pretty much. The disgorgement date, though, the, clo- the closer you are to it, this does have meaning. The closer you right. are to it, uh, the more zingy the wine's going to be. The further away you get from it, the more gingery and butterscotchy it's going right. to be. So it gives you an idea of where it is in its evolution flavor-wise.
0: And do you see that in the color, as well, like you do with other white wines?
1: Uh, Well, the color is is sort of dictated by a bunch of things. It's not so much by added sugar, although that might be a little bit of it. Um, More often, a lot of these guys, one of the innovations that the farmers do is they'll barrel barrel ferment wines before they put them through second fermentation. Oh. And so So you'll get a little color extraction from the barrel, as well.
0: All right, well, Francis Fecto Mm -hmm. of Libation, on champagne go to saltlakemagazine.com slash podcast and you can read more about these wines you can see pictures of the bottle always important when you're shopping and cheers thanks Francis
1: my pleasure thank you